New York City has not been the same without one of its principal attractions, Broadway. Theaters are coming back, but it's been a long road to recovery. We lost something and now we are finding it again. Broadway theaters closed on March 12, 2020. At the time, people who worked on Broadway thought that maybe it would be a month before they were back on the stage. Now, the goal is to get audiences back in the seats by September, a year and a half after the pandemic shutdown began. The theater district grossed more than $1.75 billion in the season before coronavirus hit this city. Over 14.5 million people attended a Broadway show in 2019. The industry directly employed more than 12,000 people and supported over 90,000 related jobs across New York. On April 12th, Broadway took a major step toward getting those people back to work. I'm Steve Kastenbaum, and this is New York Gritty, a podcast about the resiliency of New Yorkers in a time of crisis. They say the neon lights are bright on Broadway. They say there's always magic in the air. On a pedestrian plaza in the middle of Times Square, people gathered to watch a live performance and listen to Mayor Bill de Blasio talk about the opening of a COVID vaccination site set up just for people who work in theaters. This is us. This is New York City coming back before your very eyes, right here in Times Square. This is what we are about. We are not letting anything hold us back. Forgive me, I'm emotional. This is the most people I have seen in a year and a half. I'm sure you feel the same way. And this is the first live performance I've seen in a year and a half. Um, So I'm emotional today. Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator and star of the musical Hamilton, was also there. We want to gather again, and we want to tell stories in the dark. We cannot do that if we don't feel safe and if you don't feel safe. So the first step in that process is getting our vaccination shots um, and the next steps will follow. But the first step starts today with this clinic. I'm really grateful to the mayor's office. I'm really grateful to these performers for making me cry again um, and laugh again. I cannot wait to feel in a room with you guys again. Earlier in this podcast series, we looked at the impact of the Broadway shutdown and the outlook for the future. We thought this was a good time to revisit that topic and give you the opportunity to listen to the full interview with Eva Price, the Tony Award-winning producer of the musical Jagged Little Pill. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I'm Eva Price. I'm a Tony Award-winning Broadway producer. Uh, When Broadway shut on March 12th, I was producing Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. In addition to uh, a handful of shows across the country on tour and in development, and um, I'm surviving the turn of events to the best of my abilities. Let's go back to the beginning of uh, 2020. Tell me, what were you doing in January? How were things going for you? Oh, wow. January of 2020. And I, I'm recently reminded because uh, good old Facebook does a very good job of, of reminding you one year later of things, as I'm sure you know. 
um, as does iPhoto. <laughs> so I was recently reminded that when I woke up on January 1st, 2020, I was on vacation in Curacao. I had a great week. <laughs> And I was heading back to New York City, uh, quite excited, quite optimistic. I had just opened Jagaloo Pill on Broadway the month prior in December. Our cast and Alanis Morissette had performed live at the ball drop in Times Square. Uh, and the future was open and bright. And I was getting ready for a tour launch of a show called What the Constitution Means to Me in Los Angeles. Um, I, uh, I headed out there mid-January to, to launch that tour. Uh, I was wrapping up a Tony-winning run of the Revival Oklahoma at Circle in the Square. Uh, we were completing our uh, 11th month on Broadway ahead of our national tour that was going to be launching six months later. And I was developing new shows for for theater, for for film, for television, for for the 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 international touring community, and was quite optimistic about my career, about my projects, about my opportunities, and about the Broadway space. It had reached record highs in terms of audience numbers, audience diversity. Uh, box office grosses. Um, we we were coming off of a, a banner couple years, uh, just as an industry in general throughout North America, uh, and and specifically in New York. And I was really proud of the work I had in my pipeline and that I had been working on because I felt like the shows that I was producing were not only audience favorites and and critical favorites and and box office uh you know potential favorites but they were saying something about the world they were commenting on the community we were living in and showing the the difficult truths of a american family and taking a look at xenophobia and toxic masculinity and 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 shining a light on on how we overcome that and dealing with things like addiction and assault and and other real life issues that kitchen tables across America are forced to talk about or not talk about and deal with we were helping survivors and and helping all sorts of theater goers grapple with with real serious topics on Broadway and we were making a difference and those were the things that were driving me and were putting a spring in my step and were motivating me and all of that a couple months later stopped people come to new york and a visit isn't complete without going to a broadway show that's always on everyone's list and when they think of broadway they think of the actors the musicians the dancers the singers uh, the set designers, the people on the stage making it happen. But I don't know that the producer's role enters the mind very much for the average theater goer. Can you tell me what that's like being a producer? Because <laughs> you're the, quite honestly, you're the first Broadway producer I've ever spoken with. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we're not all is men over 60 with a cigar hanging out of our mouth, which is what I thought. Broadway producers all were <laughs> when I first became one. Um, we are a group of people that range in ethnicity and race and gender and age and taste and passion. 
Uh, so, you know, for every producer you meet there, there is a stark difference. I, I assure you between them. Uh, but what we all are, are emotional entrepreneurs who care deeply about an art form and the artist and the art of storytelling. And we care deeply about the economics of our shows and the financial viability and the potential success and commerciality of them. Uh, our job, just to boil it down, you know, quite simply, is we are the CEO of the show. Think of every show as a company. Every producer is the CEO. They are the founder. They are the financial uh, backer. They are the chief strategist and and marketer. And they have a degree of creative vision. Obviously, the day-to-day of the creative vision, the execution of that is by the director. That That's, that's a core difference. Uh, but the producer has the creative vision as to how the show's narrative will exist in the world and will be perceived by ticket buyers and potential ticket buyers, as well as the press, uh, as well as the in- entire marketplace. Um, so the, the job is eating, sleeping, breathing, living your show to its utmost potential. Um, you know, the buck really does stop with you. You decide when to open, you decide when to close, you decide how much everything's going to cost and you decide who to hire and fire. I mean, you, you know, you, you really are the CEO in that way. Hmm. So in January of 2020, things were fantastic on Broadway, (laughs) as you just described. Do you remember when you first started hearing about coronavirus? I do. I do. Um, So I listen to Up First every morning, um, just to sort of get in the, the basis of my news. And I was hearing about it reading about it on occasion and, you know, whatever New York Times news briefing or other news briefing I was getting. And um, I, you know, like a lot of people assumed it was a thing in China that I didn't have to worry about that was small and concerning, but not something that was going to affect my everyday. So I did very little to prepare myself or, plan for for what it could become. Um, I, I blame, you know, failure in leadership, frankly, for not telling me otherwise. But I also blame my own naivete and optimism that um, we as an industry and America as a place and New York as as a as as the greatest city in the world were immune to any kind of legitimate harm. Do you remember hearing Mayor de Blasio say Around then, it's not a matter of if, but when this comes to us. Not really. Like I, <laughs> I, I remember there being comment commentary around that. Like I, I remember hearing. I guess I will say it this way. I remember those words, Steve, but I don't remember the feeling that those words had gravity or graveness, and and again. I'm partially to blame, right? Like I will take my own naivete and optimism to task for not preparing me more. But, you know, in the same vein that that was being said, it was also what also, as you recall, was being said is keep going to work, keep living your life. (laughs) Yeah. I remember thinking, yeah, that's not going to last. I remember thinking, 
it is just a matter of time before it comes to New York, and it's probably going to get bad because of the density here, because of the fact that New York City is an international city and people are coming and going from this city every day from all parts of the world. And I maybe it's because I'm a journalist. I just remember feeling very pessimistic at that time. But it doesn't sound like you were yet. No, no, sadly, I wasn't. I, I, you know, I have two very memorable conversations that, um, you know, in, if I had like a replay Ola like they had on the Jetsons, <laughs> I would go mm-hmm. back to and act on. One was on March 3rd, uh, an actress who, who works for me um, actually said to me um, after a company meeting, are we going to get shut down? And I looked at her, I go, what? Are you crazy? No one shuts Broadway down. No, no, no. Everything, no, it'll be fine. I'm Um, smiling when you say that because (laughs) I just remember what was going on then. And and the the cases were starting to really blossom in these clusters, as they called it back then. You know, we had uh, north of New York City, there was the the New Rochelle cluster, and then it spread to uh, another related community within the city, within the five boroughs that make up New York. And and I remember thinking, yeah, this is going to get really bad. And then we started having that, you know, the, the dueling messaging between the mayor mm-hmm. and the governor, and they couldn't get their acts straight, you know, what was going to happen here. And and they kept going back and forth on that. And all I kept thinking was with each passing day, it's yeah. getting worse for us. Yeah. At that time, did you think that it was coming? That, yeah, it looks like things are going to get so bad that they shut down Broadway. Well, I I started to 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 make a few different choices uh, about two days later. I was supposed to get on a plane to go to Chicago on March sixth to attend an opening of my tour, "What the Constitution Means to Me," and I didn't really need to get on a plane, and I didn't really need to go to Chicago. Uh, the show can open on its own. There were going to be plenty of openings I wouldn't be attending. I was just with the company in Los Angeles the month before. Uh, and after having a conversation with a couple people about the seriousness of the virus, I thought I don't need to get on a plane and go to Chicago right now. Mm-hmm. And then that following Tuesday, I was supposed to get on a plane and go see my parents, my elderly parents in Florida. And I remember thinking the same thing. We're now talking March 10th. And I remember thinking, I don't need, I mean, it would be great, but I don't need to get on a plane and go expose myself to a bunch of elderly people <laughs> in what is a the start of what feels like a pandemic that, uh, that affects in the, in the worst way people who are older and elderly. Um, and so, you know, much to their chagrin and much to their disappointment, I canceled that trip, um, you know, only to be sitting in a room two days later with the leadership of Broadway, uh, you know, hearing news from the governor saying that Broadway is now shut down. Did that decision, did it involve you and, and everybody else on Broadway or was it really the governor saying, that's it, we're closing Broadway? It was the governor. That's it. We're closing Broadway. You know, involved in that there is communication between between the governor's office and the leadership 
of Broadway and our and our trade association, the Broadway League, there was obviously dialogue about you know what it would mean to have this news. But no, the, these decisions they they come from the state. They come from the government. We we are not that powerful of a group of people. We we put on shows real well, but we don't determine policy. With that in mind, how many people depend on Broadway every day to make a living? Well, an awful lot, Steve. Um, because when you ask it that way, in terms of making a living, you're also asking about every restaurant, every parking garage, every dry cleaner, every you know concessionaire uh, that is also in and around the Broadway district that relies on Broadway to make a living. The guy that builds the signs, the electrician from the local bulb place, the, you know, caterer who delivers meals. Um, And, you know, not to mention every Broadway worker, you know, so the number that I see um, constantly um, thrown around is 90,000 people. Um, 90,000 people. Um, But I think it goes way, way, way beyond that because of the epicenter that Broadway is to New York City and the way that New York City is an epicenter of America. Um, and when you think about the theatrical arts community, you know, it, ha- it has to have its flagship <laughs> store. And the-, the theater arts flagship store is Broadway. So when that shut down, what was running through your mind? Were you thinking how long is this going to be? How are we going to survive? Were you just tackling one problem at a time day after day? Were you thinking long-term? What was going through your mind? Yeah, I I hadn't thought long-term yet uh, for two reasons. Uh, I'm I'm very good at compartmentalizing. (laughs) And and in order to think long-term, I think I wouldn't have been able to be a leader in the short term. And that, that was what was needed. You know, I had a I had 90 people uh, expecting to show up to work that night at the Broadhurst Theater uh, for Jagged Little Pill. And I had to get on the phone with them. We organized very hastily a conference call as soon as the governor made that decision for every crew member, every box office worker, every usher, and certainly all the actors and musicians. And we explained to them what we knew. And what we knew was that Broadway was shutting down. I think at that point it was three weeks. Uh, I think through April 12th was the decision uh, or maybe the week before April 12th. And I really believed that. And I believe that we were going to find a way to pay people for um, a few weeks, you know, hopefully the majority of that, you know, few weeks shut down. Uh, I believed we were going to um, find ways to, um, to rebound from that few week shutdown. And, um, and that's what I focused on. I focused on the, the safe return of people's personal items and, and people's, people's selves. You know, we actually were a show, Jagged Little Pill specifically was a show, uh, similar to many shows on Broadway that had an outbreak. We, I think we ended up having about eight cast members who tested positive at, at, at some point. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Moulin Rouge had 23. So, you know, we we had a light. Um, 
So we were worried about that. We were worried about people being able to get tests. If you recall, this was a point where getting a test was really, really problematic. And I was worried about and keeping focused on um, what it would be like to sell tickets and keep a safe theater and keep the audience safe and keep the cast safe uh, for the spring and summer months while this was, you know, hopefully disappearing. Yeah. And things just kept getting worse. We we kept getting reports of, of figures that were astronomical. And sadly, the death rate was just completely unimaginable. And uh, as, as April came, it was clear that Broadway was going to be shut down for a long time because the theater environment, the, the enclosed environment, especially backstage in these old, old theaters, there was just no way to keep people really safe from what turned out to be a, a virus that is transmissible through the air. You know, initially they started talking about, you know, transmissions through touch, but obviously that was wrong. Yeah. And, and, and there was just, I imagine in, in your mind, there really wasn't a conceivable way to keep the, the performers, the crew, the musicians, the, the ushers to keep everyone safe. If you did reopen, let alone the theater goers. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and whether, uh, yes, to all of that, Steve, but also as to whether these theater goers would want to come, who wants to put themselves in harm's way to see a show? I mean, (laughs) I love theater. Don't get me wrong, but to risk your life is, uh, it, 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 it's not that great. (laughs) And, and this was a moment where we, we knew so little about this disease other than it was deadly. We had learned at that point it had killed, um, or had made very sick um, Terrence McNally, uh, Nick Cordero, right. uh, you know, um, Adam Schlesinger. I mean, we're talking, you know, titans of the theater community. Uh, some of these artists are not old. And it was very, very scary to us to think that anyone, especially what is largely an an older audience that goes to the theater would would want to put themselves at risk. Um, mm-hmm. And without people in the audience, box office and finances aside, I mean, of course we can't run if we don't have the ticket sales, but an empty audience, that's, that, that's not how you put on a show. That's not what it, our art form is about. So it, it you know, eventually in, in those, in those following weeks and months, we we had sort of a existential crisis about how how were we going to survive so when i hear you say that i think of the 90,000 people we were talking about moments ago and and i'm wondering what has happened to them yeah yeah a lot of side hustles a lot of online classes a lot of online bread making <laughs> <laughs> A lot of folks have started side businesses legitimately, flower arrangements, T-shirt uh, creation, uh, tattooing. I've, I've seen that happen. And a lot of folks have gotten unemployment. You know, we laugh, but literally these people had their livelihoods taken away from them just overnight. Their reason for existing was gone, right? The... There is there is no there is no real laughter here. It it is actual heartbreak and tears because th- these people not only had their 
livelihood and their reason for being and their passion taken away from them overnight. But they are intended to come back one day at an unknown date with no real timeline in place and 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 no real detail about the return and assume that they have it all still intact the way they had it on March 11th, as though their bodies are ready to dance those dances and their voices are ready to sing those songs and their emotional in their emotional IQ is functioning at a place where they can handle the dramatic and emotional roller coaster of being an actor. Uh, you know, I, I am incredibly heartbroken about, about people's livelihoods financially, but I am equally heartbroken about their mental health. So people think about Broadway being such an integral part of, of New York City. You know, if this city does return back to, quote, normal, it wouldn't be normal if people couldn't go to Broadway and see a show. So calling workers back to offices, if that ever happens, uh, yeah, people would be flowing through New York City again. But but Broadway generates billions of dollars for the economy of New York City. And it's part of this city's personality. It's fiber. Yeah. Right? So I, I'm wondering, what's your outlook for the future of New York City given the role that Broadway plays and and feeling this real insecurity about when it might reopen. Remember when I told you I was pretty good at compartmentalizing? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a tool that I'm happy to have because the truth is until the day we're back, it's going to be, it's going to be heinous. The, the, the days of not knowing and the days of thinking we know and the days of planning and worrying and remounting and and solving how to how to have a safe protocoled work environment for everyone on stage backstage and for the audience it it's it's going to be the greatest challenge of all of our lives but within those compartments is a real genuine largely optimistic piece of me that says this city and this country is going to be so ready to gather when the moment comes that the scientists and the government says we can. And that desire to be together and to congregate where an emotional experience, an artistic experience, and a, and a storied, a beautifully live storied experience can happen for us as an audience and as a community I just think people are going to be coming out in droves. It is it is really going to be one of the richest and most unique things that a country of of lockdown people will have, will eventually be able to do again. You you actually can't compare anything we've done in the last year and a half, you know, whenever it is we're back, year and a half plus. You can't compare a single experience to what it will be like to be back in the theater again with strangers watching live people. And I think that's going to be such a driver for humanity that people are going to be there and they're going to be there in droves and they're going to be supportive. But how we get there, Steve, when we get there and all the pain and suffering we're going to go through to make sure when we get there, it is safe and ready to do so, that's going to be monumental. But to answer your question, 
I feel very optimistic that it'll be back. It'll feel, it'll feel similar, but God, it'll feel so different. <laughs> you, you sound so confident that New York will not lose this iconic part of its personality, but will it be the same? No one will be the same <laughs> after this. I don't even know what the same is anymore. I don't know if I'm the same person. I don't know if my mom's the same person. <laughs> it's, I certainly I certainly don't think anything will be the same after this. So, so no, I'm going to say that right off the bat. It will not be the same. It'll be different because it has to be different. We are a different America. We are a different human race. We are a different culture. We are a different group of people because of the war that we have lived through and the PTSD that we will be dealing with and the experience, the individual experiences we all will have had. Will Broadway shine? Will people be standing and applauding? Will theaters be full? Will tickets be sold? Will standing ovations happen? Will the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with Broadway performances exist live? Yes. In terms of those basic things that marked Broadway before will be the same, but will the actual experience that the human beings who put on Broadway and who are in the audience taking in Broadway, they won't be the same and therefore it won't be the same. It really can't, Steve. It can't because of what we've been through, what we've learned the way that we are changing as a culture to be more just, to be more equitable, to be more diverse, to be more open, to be more honest and forgiving and healing. Those are going to be the things that will permeate all the experiences of the audiences and of the performers. And that's just far from the same. As a New Yorker, you, you know that Broadway is a family. And here in New York, we've all gone through this trauma together. But some of us have very small families to experience that through. Some of us don't have any families to experience that through. Broadway, you literally live with each other more than you live with your actual blood relatives when you work on Broadway. How has that impacted the way the Broadway community, the individuals, have been dealing with this traumatic experience? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I'll I would say everyone is having a very different experience in terms of how they have stayed connected to their cast members and to their company and how they have not. Um, I can only speak to my own experience truly. And, you know, I guess a little bit of what I perceive uh, in the community. And that is a closeness. That is a rage of things that have felt unjust and unfair for all these years that have come to light and people are working towards resolving that also manifests itself in love and in giving. And that is seen by way of the huge fundraising that has existed over the last 10 months through the actors fund and through Broadway cares, equity fights AIDS and through the varying um, donations and donation platforms and donated performances and, and fundraising events that have just been in the constant ether. Um, and that also has found its way with um, the, the streaming that has existed, the, the varying 
ways that our art form has taken shape on the internet because it has had to, both for the fans and also for the arts workers. It has become a way to get people paid, to raise money, to keep fans engaged, to make money for folks. Um, And that has found a way to keep people connected and to keep companies connected and to keep the industry connected. So I'm taking what you've said to heart and I am now envisioning a time sometime in the relatively near future when I will once again have to step over people on the sidewalk who are camped out in front of theaters waiting for those day of cheap tickets. I'm counting on this now. (laughs) (laughs) They might be in masks. (laughs) True. true, And there there might be more tickets than normal. (laughs) (laughs) But that day will be back. That day will be back. You know, the the, the future is open and um, and it, it's going to take a, a varied form and shape than anything we've ever seen before. Um, but it's going to take shape because um, there is a hunger and a thirst for live theater, both in New York and around the world. And um, people are going to crowd again. And they're going to be maybe a little nicer, maybe a little happier to be in that crowd, um, and certainly equally excited to see their show. As of this recording, the goal is for Jagged Little Pill and other shows to put fans back into the seats in early fall. When that time comes, it'll be a major step forward in New York's recovery from the pandemic. Broadway shows are a huge draw for people visiting New York. In our next episode, we'll look at the state of tourism in this city and how much is riding on the return of tourists. Follow New York Gritty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Check out the website for more on the city's recovery from the pandemic, nygritty.com, and send me an email if you have a story about how you're getting by during this tough time, steve at nygritty.com. Follow New York Gritty on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for details on upcoming episodes. I'm Steve Kastenbaum. Thanks for listening.